Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I can see how excited you are to be back in studio, in person with me. No, have... it's, it's the question that I know is coming. Well, wait, it's I was the... going to congratulate you on your, your newfound health and oh, recovery. newfound? And... I found it? Yes, but when we yes. were last on the air, it wasn't... I can now walk? You weren't quite uh, feeling as well. Yeah, uh, so since I can now feel a little better, you're going to ask me the question that I've been dreading for 13 months now? Did you stay awake to watch Thursday Night Football last night, Jeff? <laughs> Oddly, the answer is yes. I know you did. <laughs> Because I was texting with you. <laughs> that should tell you that I can't sleep. Yes, I can right? tell how bored you are that you were watching well, Thursday th- Night Football. Look, there were, there were choices. And you could watch the Phillies game and watch them blow it. Or you could watch the... Um, what else could you watch? You could watch tennis. I watched all three. So I was going to yeah. tell you about my viewing Or you could habits. watch football. And, and w- I was watching the Phillies until they made me cry. It, it bothers you how I multitask. Or mm-hmm. you believe don't actually concentrate on any one thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to do some work. And at the same time, I had on the iPad the tennis matchup. On the laptop, I had the Phillies game. On the phone, I had the football game. See, you know, back back in the old back in the old days, you could actually. I'll I'll move. Don't worry. Uh, back in the old days, you would have something called picture in picture. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, I loved picture in picture. Why did they get rid of picture in picture? I don't the technology know. Technology not can you, in a flat screen? Can you not do picture? Look in to picture? me, the next genesis is not taking away picture in picture. It's multiple pictures in picture. Well, well they That's but, the but they can do, don't they like, do that on the, the red zone? Give me the whole, yes, that's why I think the red zone is the greatest invention ever. So why? So why did they take that away from us? I don't know. I mean, I can take this iPad right now and I could split screen it. You can. So why can't I do that on my television? Well, you could actually split screen and have like different feeds now and do that. But no, I I agree with you. I totally agree with you. So what did you decide to watch? Because I know that you were watching the Phillies game (laughs) until the bullpen came in. Until your 17 texts in a row. So I don't know what happened in the seventh inning. Ranger Suarez came out of the game, and Jeff said, okay, here comes the bullpen. And then he completely no, disappeared. No, 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 no. What I said was, thank goodness that they let Ranger go the sixth innings because that means that that's, we didn't have to watch Coonrod pitch. And then you disappeared. And I just kept yeah. texting and texting you. Yeah, about- one of these days I should just read them all. Because you <laughs> went back to my pet peeve, which was you were in stream of consciousness mode. <laughs> I just and said- there were it, there was one... Two, three, four, five, six, seven. The audience is very eight, impressed how you can nine, count live on the radio. Ten. In the span of like ten. probably a minute and a half. Yes. They came through. Uh-huh. So Jeff how, how do you type that fast? Jeff would like a run on sentence in a text message. Just one long message that goes forever with ten different thoughts. I on the other hand. No, no, you don't need you can ha- you can that, it was all expressing the same thought. <laughs> Pretty much was. It, 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 it's that the Phillies are Trying to break a record for blown saves. That, that's <laughs> their goal. They're they're doing well at it. They've they yeah. blew their thirtieth save last night. The major like Ranger League... Suarez is pitched out of his mind. Ranger Suarez has saved you from having to watch Vince Velasquez. Right. Who, you really... who, who by the way has pitched well in the minors. Re- is rehabbing now. Yes, he's pitched rather. He, he had a good so uh, start the other day. Be afraid. Be I, very afraid. You're gonna you're gonna have to see that again. So do you Phil- know what movie that's from? The the Phillies are what? Be afraid. Be very afraid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Tell the me. Fly. 
Uh, see, I you never saw that either. You can't ask me movie questions or <sighs> pop culture questions. I'm not good at that kind of thing. You thumping. wear pop culture t-shirts in the studio all the time. For like the limited part of pop culture that I know, Jeff. Oh, so so if it's before, so just I let also me know. had a Wenswagen so, T-shirt, so, so let's not go off my fashion as whether or not it's <laughs> a successful indication of what's going on. Okay, you know why don't why don't we leave it there? I, I'm excited for the season, uh, Jeff. I know you're excited for the season. Maybe it, not as excited for the it, Eagles. It's but. not a pop culture reference, but I do have to. Dave and I share. Um, uh, we have different children who went to the same school. Yes, Dave, you there? Hello. Yeah. There we go. Hey, so, Dave, before we, we we were making fun of Jason's limited understanding of pop culture, but you and I share uh, something similar, a similarity, which is our kids went, your kid went, and my kid goes to the University of Colorado. Did you yep. know of the phenomenon uh, phenomenon of of Ralphie? Because I had no idea yeah. it was that big a deal. Yeah, there's a new Ralphie this year, right? That's yeah, right. Yeah, I have to there's pay for a, it. Quite a fun. Quite a fun uh, <laughs> Yeah, you'll be paying for a while. <laughs> yeah, Dave likes to send me texts telling me how much it's costing me to send my kid to go to Colorado. Thank it's you, really Dave. It's a beautiful setting. It's really quite a... Isn't it gorgeous out there? It, it, it is beautiful, and for that price, it should be. <laughs> Je- Jeff is definitely enjoying it with his son out there. All right, Dave, we made it. The season's going to kick off this weekend. Uh, tell me the feeling down there, uh, how excited people are to get this thing going already. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting. It's a new era, and... Nick is trying to keep everybody focused, and that's great. And you know, I think the team likes being counted out. And um, you know, we'll find out. It's a, it's. I think the, one of the exciting things is that the fans are going to be back, and that's something that the players really, really missed last year. They, I think, at times players feel like it, they take it for granted that the fans are always going to be there, but they weren't there last year, and the performance was lousy from the football team, and the energy was terrible. And so we start a new chapter in Philadelphia Eagles history, and it should be fun on Sunday. How excited are the players to, to be playing in front? You mentioned that they're excited to be playing in front of the fans. Do you think it changes the dynamic for them? I mean, both teams have to play in front or not in front of the fans. Do you think it makes a difference? Is, is the Philadelphia fan base that big a, a, a deal to the players? They'll travel. They'll travel? Uh, yeah, I think the challenge this week will be that they're in a dome. And I'll give you an example. Jordan Mailata starts a left tackle, right? started what 10 games last year Mm -hmm. great right um how many games did he play in front of fans none zero right so he goes into a dome this week it's gonna be loud they're gonna use a silent cadence and i mean that's a challenge but do the players go wow the fans are back this is gonna be so fun no they don't because they've got to focus on other things so i mean yeah it's great that the fans are back i think the fans provide a lot of energy i think this week it's a bit daunting just the sound in the Mercedes-Benz Dome, and um, we'll see how the Eagles respond to that because they've got a left tackle who's got a lot of responsibility, very much of a blitz defense coming his way, and he's got to be on the same page with everybody else. It's not just a matter of blocking the guy in front of you. It's a matter of blocking out all the noise from the Atlanta Falcons fans who are every bit as hungry to see it turned around as the Philadelphia Eagles fans are. What are you seeing with the rest of the offensive line? Have they gelled? You know, they've tried to gel. Brandon Brooks has been limited in practice. So I think they feel like they can just plug and play him and it'll all come together with he and Lane. You know, I think that's the expectation that these, this offensive line has to be really good to, great to fuel the offense and to give Jalen Hurts a chance. Last year it was mixed pieces everywhere, moving pieces everywhere, injuries all over, and Jalen was running for his life. Carson Wentz was running for his life. 
Um, I think the Eagles feel like at the line of scrimmage, this is where they win football games in 2021. This is the strength of their team on both sides of the ball. I've been really impressed with how much the veterans have bought into the coaching staff. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Coach Sirianni, Coach Gannon, and what we can expect from them? It was kind of not much shown well, very vanilla in the preseason. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you're, you kind of have two choices, right? You buy in or you're gone. So um, Nick's, Nick's a tremendous energy guy. He's a very unconventional Definitely believes in connecting. Has done things that I've never seen a coach do here in terms of just creating that kind of culture, that kind of atmosphere where it's very much a let's connect, let's trust each other, let's rely on each other, let's be accountable for ourselves and for each other. So um, I, I, I always believe it's great. It sounds great on paper. Everything's fantastic going into the opener. When you talk about buying in, let's see how they buy in when, it's, when they're down 23-21 late fourth quarter. That To me, that is when you find out leadership, you find out things – you find out how much people buy in through adversity when things are tough. Um, but certainly Nick, I, I really like Nick. I, I feel like he is the right man for the job. I love Jonathan Gannon as a defensive coordinator. I'm really excited to see what kind of scheme he puts together. Um, they're young. They've got fresh ideas, the way they approach practice, the way that they, you know, work with their players. So, you know, guys, it's, it's a new, it's a new time for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, uh, Jeffrey Lurie described it as a transition situation back when he removed Doug Peterson as the head coach. And, I mean, I can't disagree with that. The roster has had a lot of change. The coaching staff has had, obviously, a ton of change. And everybody believes now you see. You know, you know you're going to see. It's great to buy in, okay? But when you're going to buy in more when you see what your coach does on game day, if he does the right things. And so this is really a huge test for everybody. What do you see of him on game day? Do you see him as a – I don't from, know. From, from, I don't know yet. Right. Uh, obviously, we, we don't know. We can't predict the future. But from what you've seen so far about his preparation and the style that he has, do you see him as somebody who will be rigid in sticking to a game plan? Or do you see him as somebody that will be able to evolve as the game goes on? Well, I certainly hope he evolves because this is going to be, I mean, particularly in weeks one and two, you know, there's just so much unknown. The Falcons have a new head coach. They've got their prize, shiny prize toy, pass-receiving rookie in Kyle Pitts, just like the Eagles have Devontae Smith. And the, to me, you kind of play your base early on in the first couple of series, and then you make adjustments. And, um, yeah, he better evolve or else the Eagles are going to lose a lot of games. I mean, you have to evolve. You have to make in-game adjustments. You have to be very quick thinking. You have to be great on the fly. And so you've got a defensive coordinator who's never been a defensive coordinator. You've got a head coach who's never been a head coach. And these are tremendous challenges for both of them. Is Devontae Smith uh, adjusting to the bigger ball with the seams on it? Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> He's going to do um, it just yeah, fine. He didn't, he didn't sit out last year. He didn't sit out. No, what the, the reference is to Jamar Chase right. in, uh, in Miami, who didn't play last year and has had a lot of trouble catching the football and has talked about the difference in size from the collegiate football to the professional football. So, yeah, I'm, I think Devontae is the real deal. And uh, But it's such an unusual body. I mean, it's, it's – He's longer than Deshaun Jackson, but he's kind of every bit of thin. And so Deshaun's whole thing was injuries. But to me, Devontae prepares much better and conditions much better, and I think is built for the long haul. I mean, I just think the kid is going to be a superstar. How do you, how do you anticipate Nick's going to be using the tight ends? Is he going to go with a lot of two tight end sets? I mean, if the other team has weaknesses in that area, yes. If the, if the defense doesn't have weaknesses in that area, no. I think it's very much a game-by-game situation like to get both Zach and Dallas to football a lot, but, you know, they've got some speed at wide receiver. They've got a good running group, and one of their young running backs, Kenneth Gainwell, is terrific. 
really terrific as a pass catcher. So I think it just gives you flexibility, gives you a, a bit of options. And I think Nick intends to use those options. But I think it really will be intended to exploit matchups. And so, like, in this game, Atlanta has – look, they don't have a ton on defense. They've got Grady Jarrett up front, excellent defensive tackle. They're going to blitz a lot. We know that. Um, and then they've got really good um, linebackers. So maybe you don't go two wide, uh, two tight ends. Maybe you go three wides more. Maybe you maybe you use a, a Kenneth Gainwell and you, you split him out a little bit and move him around the formation and try to create some matchups. Um, I, I, I think one of the key components here, I think the Eagles do want to run the football. I think it's not going to be a run-based offense per se, but I do think it's, a, it's been a very large component of what Nick did in Indianapolis, and I think he wants to continue that here in Philadelphia. With Julio Jones gone and a new offense there, Matt Ryan coming back, but now you've got Kyle Pitts there as the new weapon, Is what do you think the approach is? Are, are you going to try and double Kyle Pitts as a rookie and take him out, kind of take it as it is? is do you think Gannon is somebody who – goes in with a game plan to take somebody away or what's his approach it's, we haven't really seen any of it yet yeah i don't i don't I, I really don't know but i will tell you that i will ask you this trivia question what atlanta receiver has had the most receptions in his first three years in franchise history calvin ridley. his name is calvin ridley right yeah. not 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 julio jones so you know ridley's a superstar and um i think he had eight 100 yard games last year so if you're doubling kyle pitts then you better trust darius slay to take out and that's almost impossible to do. I don't believe in, in uh, I don't believe in in shutdown cornerbacks in the NFL. So, look, I, I mean, I think the I think the NFL is going to be very much what it was last last night, up and down the field, get inside the twenties, and and um, then you have to score touchdowns. And the teams that score touchdowns will win. The defenses that hold offenses to field goals will win. And but I think for the most part, the NFL teams are going to move up and down the field. I think that's just the way it is. It's a spread offense combination of college and football and professional football these days, and it's wide open. So um, the the Falcons will get theirs. Now, the the advantage the Eagles have, as I see it, is they're much better at the defensive line. I mean, they should really, if it works, if it all works, they should have a big advantage. And I think that mitigates some of what Kyle Pitts and what some of their tight ends can do, Hayden Hurst, because they're just not going to be able to play five blockers against four Eagles pass rushers if those four pass rushers are winning a lot. Dave, we wish you all safe travels to Atlanta. Best of luck in the start of the game. Look forward to talking to you this season and hear what's going on. Good luck, man. Yeah, anytime. Please uh, please stay in touch and uh, go Birds. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Jeff, I'm excited because I have no expectations for the season. I'm not... I think you should be more excited because, I, I mean, if you if you just go based on Dave's tone, over the last few seasons when we have had him more on. optimistic than he's been in the past few years. You can tell. I mean, he seems to have a spring in his step, doesn't he? He he won't say that on the air to us. No. And we wouldn't put into it, but yes. It, Absolutely. It, it, I mean, come, come on. Remember, if you remember last couple, season, two, yeah, it was the last sky season. Was falling. Last season, you and I were going to talk to him and mm-hmm. we were expecting like, oh, this happy like it's going to be a great season. Right. We talked to him and afterwards we got off the air and we we're like, Oh. No, but but I mean, but that's the thing about Dave is, is Dave tells it like it is, and so so he was telling it like it is. You just didn't want to hear it, and, and then when Nick Sirianni was was hired, you were really concerned about it. Yes, and he came on and he said, "No, what I've been watching is a different thing than because because we what we saw was that press conference. Yes, and, and you couldn't have started with a worse way to start than that press conference. Not really in Philadelphia. Not really. And and Dave, I think, put people's minds at ease that look, this this is not some goofy guy here. This is a guy that that people will run through a wall for. I still don't expect them to be like a ten win 
team. I, right. You know, six, seven wins. I'm I'm happy. I don't think they're going to oh, be a three, four guess win what? team. So now I get to put you on the spot. This what? is going to be very painful. It's already looking painful for you. What? So you have to make a prediction right now before the season starts what their record's going to be. Uh, and we're not going through each game. Six and eleven. <laughs> six and eleven, because there's seventeen. There's eighteen. Six games. and eleven. Wow. Yeah. I, you I, are a negative Nelly. I would like to to think <clears throat> they'll be better, but they have a hard start of the season, right. and they're going to be a team that's learning a new offense and a new defense. Now and, they've got weapons, right. and they've got an offensive line and a defensive line. The question is, can they stay healthy? Because if they can, then okay. Now you you're holding up. Can Jalen Hurts perform? He mentioned some of the weapons. I mean. People don't talk about Kenneth Gainwell, but internally they seem to think very highly of his ability to both catch the ball and run the ball. He's the third option right now behind Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. Mm -hmm. You're going three deep at running back, two deep at uh, tight end with Zach Ertz back. Now all of a sudden it's a different story if you're offensive. Well, they they have three more running backs than the Baltimore Ravens have. Man, you want to talk about a tough start to the season. uh, It's just like their season is over before it started. Brutal. They have to bring in every old retread running back that they can find at this point. Le'Veon Bell's back. I'm surprised I didn't. Uh, th- I knew that these players were not on your team because I thought I would have heard from you saying, "Oh, on my fantasy team, I lost Gus Edwards, and on my fantasy team, I lost J.K. Dobbins." And no, actually, on my fantasy team, Tom Brady had a nice night last evening. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. I'm surprised I didn't hear that then. If, if you're gonna there break, was no text about Tom Brady. If you're gonna break it, I was just kind of marveling about his ability at ageless to just kind of keep doing that. Do you know how many quarterbacks his age have like ever won a game? Very few. Like one. Yeah. It's one. Not, not a ever. lot. And it was one game, I think. It was Vinny Testaverde. He's the only person to win a game at age 44. What were your thoughts on the game last night? It, Dallas threw the ball so much. And didn't you keep like, like I was flipping channels back and forth. And every time I came back, I go, is Ezekiel Elliott hurt? Like, like, okay. They didn't hand him the ball at all. You're going to hate the way that I I tell you this, but I I knew because I was playing some of Ezekiel Elliott in their lineup and he was getting no points. Oh, so you were giddy. The person was texting me like, I don't understand what's going on. They also had Greg Zerline who missed a couple field goals. So they were not having a good (laughs) evening in fantasy last night. All right. So, so how many Cowboys do you have on your fantasy team? Uh, one Who? on three teams. Who? Amari Cooper. He had a good night last night. How could you do that? It was difficult. <laughs> How, no, seriously. How could you do that? It was difficult. I would never take a cowboy on any of my fantasy. It was not easy. I just wouldn't do it. It was not easy. But so my it's, options. It's were more not important for you to 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 win your fantasy games than it is to to root for your team. I didn't say I'd cheer for him when he's playing against the Eagles. Oh, I bet you would. No, absolutely. Oh, not. absolutely. No, definitely not. If it's a tie game and more, and you need. Six points, and Amari C- to Cooper gets a, a ten-yard nah, touchdown nah, pass. Cheer for the Eagles. No, nah. nah, I don't buy it. No, nah. touch, touchdowns it. and a loss. So who's going to win this weekend? I think the Eagles actually win this game. I as, do too. As much as the, I did the six and eleven prediction, mm-hmm. I think this is one of the games that they can win. I think they need to win in order to have any hope of having a better record because you know they keep you know they San Francisco next week, and then it kind of gets harder. Kansas City, they don't have an easy start of the schedule. But I mean, look, it's. Nobody's seen anything. We don't know what the players are going to look like. We don't know what the offense is going to look like. Nobody's seen anything of any team other than Tampa Bay because nobody played their quarterback in the preseason. Is there any point to the preseason anymore? No. Well, there there is a point for coaches to find 41 through 45 on their rosters, I guess. But that's pretty much about it. So what is Jeff's viewing calendar this time of year? Like tomorrow, you've got. I know that Michigan's up there because it's eight college o'clock. football, yeah, it's but that's not till the nighttime. Right. 
So the Phillies start at six oh five. I'm taking my so son to that I now game. Ha- I have, and I now have first of all I have now I have three ob- obligatory football college football games that I must watch: Colorado, Colorado Michigan, and, and Pitt. You, you should add four. What's the fourth? Rutgers. I'm not watching Rutgers. Come on, man. They, they be, they, I sent you something that, this week talking about- Be how nice Temple, about Temple. Temple, they had- We what, have had a lot of nice interviews I know, with and I can't even say the word that they called be them on ESPN. Nice. It was It was not nice <laughs> was, at all. It was not nice at all. No. <laughs> um, but so, I, so I, I, I found a way to buy the Pac-12 package, which makes <laughs> me was, as sad as you are. This was the best, right. by the way, for our listeners. Okay. So Jeff texts me, outraged, that he can't buy or find the Colorado game. So I'm like, well, go No, look. I can't find the whole network. The network, anywhere yeah. on his TV. Right. So he's looking online for it. He's looking on his phone for it. He, like, literally texts me, I can't believe this. I have all these channels. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, Jeff finds the Pac-12 network, and he's sitting up late at night watching Colorado games. Jeff, tell me how you will be glued to the Pac-12 network now. I'm not going to be glued to it. I'm just going to watch the Colorado games, and tomorrow they're going to be at the Broncos Stadium, so it's going to be great. Uh, okay. So, so I'll watch that game. I'll watch the Phillies game until the disaster happens. I don't know what inning that will be, but once the disaster happens, I'm just like, that's it. I'm done. Um, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> and, and by the way, the the home run was not even the worst play. Okay? The worst play was that Odubel cannot stay on a base. Yeah, Jeff lost his mind on text message over that one. It, it, but it, it was just like, how do you not know how to slide at this point in your career? He slid. He didn't slide past the base because he was so fast that he needed to do it. He started rolling like a five-year-old who's learning to slide for the, the first time. The baseball IQ of this team at times is lower than the amount of saves that they've blown this oh, season. Oh, but he's he's clearly the leader in the baseball IQ disaster. It's so frustrating, and it, you knew it was going to happen. Like you knew it was coming. No, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I did not think he was going to roll around like he was rolling down the the hill. Here's what I don't understand. What? You've got like 20 pitches you've thrown in the ninth inning, mm-hmm. Ian Kennedy. Okay. Yep. None of them were breaking balls. Yeah. None of them off speed pitches at all. 21. You are at an 0-2 count and you hang a curve. Why? I don't know. Like what Ian, is, Ian Kennedy. Has and by the way, I, I have to kind of own up to it. Yeah. I panned for JT to be here. Yeah. He's struggling, man. He he has not been clutch. He he and, 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 and the pitch that he struck out on was not even night. close to the strike yeah, it, zone. It's been disappointing. I mean that and, was and up at his ear. I was all over this team to sign it. Like if I'm gonna be real, he hasn't lived up to what he needs to be this year. Now look he he may have that shoulder injury, whatever it is, he's on the field. Mm-hmm. So you got to expect him to produce if he's out there. And that's been extremely disappointing. Yeah, well, at least he's coming to games, unlike Ben Simmons, who's decided that he's just not even showing up. Oh, we're going to get to the Sixers in a little bit. I still want to talk about the Phillies bullpen, though. Right. I'm not ready to move on. Is, <laughs> is Ian Kennedy... And people accuse me of, uh, of of not letting things go. Look, here's what I don't yeah. understand. Okay, mm-hmm. the bullpen's given up 78 homers, fifth most in the majors. Oh, uh, comes stats for Ian Kennedy, before he came here, mm-hmm. pitched 32 and a third innings and gave up five homers right. for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. He's allowed six in 13 and two thirds innings with the Phillies. And by the way, Texas is te- wrong with te- us. Texas, Texas is a launching pad. It's, it's not, not a good a, ballpark. Right. So what is going on here that? These guys can't come in and get the outs that they need. Oh, except Hector. All of a sudden, all Hector, of a sudden, Hector H- can pitch. Hector's great. I, yeah. Like, what is going on here? I, I don't know. 
I, I, there's no explanation for how bad this bullpen has been for the last few years. And that, that falls on the front office. You, you, you have to put together, if they just had a mediocre bullpen, they'd be in first place. Absolutely. Now, I'm not talking about a lockdown closer. They, if they had just had a mediocre bullpen, it'd be okay. If they blew one third less of their games, they'd already have eighty-one wins. Yeah, and they'd be in first they'd place by a lot. Right, and nobody wants to win the East. Mm-hmm. The Braves had lost six of nine before they came back last night. They blew the save twice in the same game before they pulled it out from the Nationals. The Mets aren't trying to win it, and the Phillies are just and and they're and they're wasting a, a, such an exciting season from Bryce Harper. But you disagree with the historic best ever Philly season. No, there was a yeah, we were talking yesterday. Somebody wrote an article <laughs> that this was the historically best season ever by by a Philly in Citizens Bank Park. And and as somebody who has been a season ticket holder and been at all of those Ryan Howard games. It was not. When Ryan Howard had those amazing seasons, the fifty home run seasons, when he came to the plate, everybody was yeah. Nobody, you could go out and get a hot dog without standing in line for three seconds if you wanted to because nobody you'd, left their seat. You'd be at home and you'd put the channel on TV to watch. Yeah, it was it was electric. And, and I, I love what Bryce Harper is doing. And I think that he has been great for this team. But he's not what Ryan Howard was. No, not, I'm not the... And I hate the fact that we always have to do these why, comparisons. I was going to ask you, why can't he just be good in his own right? He's been great. He has. He he has been so clutch, and he has not. Think about it. He has done this with JT not having a good season, with Reese Hoskins being out, and so nobody's protecting him on either side. I want to keep the baseball talk here for a minute. I I know you want to get to Simmons, but we may have to do that a little bit later because we'll take a break after we do the baseball talk to yeah. do our tennis talk. But mm-hmm. I, I need to give uh, Jeff Baseball Purist the chance to react to the what new now? trend in baseball. What is it? The intentional balk. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have nothing to say. <laughs> I, I really don't. So how does this speed up a game? Why, why, do you, why would you intentionally balk somebody? Because like, what's the point? A pitcher on the mound intentionally committing a balk send the runner from second to third because they're worried that the runner starting on second is stealing signs mm-hmm. for the batter to be able to hit. So they put them on third if they're down by more than one run because it won't actually cost them the game if that run scores. So, so if why don't you just go more. walk over to them with a little written invitation <laughs> and say, here's your little pass and go to third? <laughs> why don't they just do that? I they, love- it, it, we're now allowed to walk a, intentionally walk a batter, right? Uh, just, so why can't we intentionally balk a batter? I just pull the pin and let it go. <laughs> like, a- and by the way, was Tony La Russa <laughs> the first person to do that? That has to be a Tony La Russa thing. You are the easiest to get to go off because these this. are dumb. Like, like the fact that th- we've now created a situation where where pitchers are going to intentionally balk. I, that's I knew when I saw it that you would. Do you know we've ha- be- we've now had this rule for a while now, and nobody's even come up with a name for what you call that guy on second base. So the ghost runner, right? And, and, or whatever. My my hope is is that after this season, it goes away. Well, that's what it seems it like. It's going to be go gone. Away. It ha- it has to go away. It, if we're gonna if we're gonna ever use phrases like intentionally balk as a result, it has to go away. All right. So you wanted to get to showing up with Ben Simmons. I'll, I'll let you get there. Apparently, he's not, and he doesn't. You're you, gonna give me what thirty seconds to no, discuss? No, you got the, about two minutes the, to go off about the, it. About about the fact that Ben Simmons 
is supposedly refusing to show up at camp because he wants to be traded. And all of this was triggered by the fact that he's afraid to touch the basketball. I enjoyed the story that said it's not his job to repair his reputation. He causes... People have not been mean to him. They're not mean tweeting him as far as I know. Oh, I'm sure They're, they are, but... Well, <laughs> I don't know. But, but the fans have been pretty darn supportive of him. It's just that For he, what he's, he's done. Af- he's afraid to come. He is afraid to go play the first game in that Look, stadium. You don't have That's to, what he's afraid of. You don't of. have to take your word for it or my word for it. Shaq and Charles Barkley have gone off this week about Ben Simmons and how good he is or not good he is and how if you really want to be committed to being what you say you are. You know what he's going to He's going to end up like in Minnesota or someplace like that. And he's going to end up and playing he's well be at some miserable. point. Yes, but he's going to end up playing well. Because this isn't a physical he can't play thing. It's a mental he won't play thing. Well, no, he'll play well, but he he won't play the way we need him to play here. Here, right? He will never be what he can be and should be right. here in Philadelphia. He, uh, basic, basically, he can be a better, taller Rajon Rondo. You've been else. you've been saying that for a while. It's true. <laughs> you just it's true. Get What's the in? difference? You just want to get that. No, in. No, really, he's a better re- rebounding Rondo. Well, apparently, he's not showing up here for camp, and he wants- why? We saw two clips of him making two baskets. <laughs> shouldn't we? Shouldn't it all be fixed now? You know, it's my favorite time of year, man. Is, doesn't he want to prove everybody wrong, like he said four years ago? Apparently, not anymore. Apparently he's not he interested. He just gave in up that. on it. It's not his job to prove everybody wrong. They can just believe that they're wrong. That's the new attitude. But they weren't wrong. No, they're exactly right. They're all yeah. right. For for four years ago, he was on film saying, "I'm going to work in the off season and prove everybody wrong." And we went waited three more full seasons to watch him keep doing this to the point that it deteriorated to the point that he was afraid to touch the basketball. Yeah, it's not good, man. Not good at all. Let's leave it there. Let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to get some tennis talk in with New York Times uh, correspondent Chris Clary. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. We are here with Chris Clary of the New York Times. You know, Chris, last time we had you on, it was just Chris Clary of the New York Times covering tennis. Now you have a new title, and we appreciate that despite this new title of New York Times bestselling author, that you are willing to join us. So thank you for joining us. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. That, that stuff sounds pretty good to me. You know, humble, ink-stained wretch that I am. That's pretty cool to have that. Uh, have that. However long it lasted or lasts, it, it was fantastic news. And I thank you guys for having me on the show before to help uh, help it happen. So, uh, the first question we have to ask you though is, how tired are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, gr- Grand Slam tennis for anybody who's who's never done it as a journalist is is one of those like marathon grueling things. You know what I mean? It's just it's late nights. At, Especially the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, really, really long. So it's just a question of getting through it. You got to pace yourself. And a lot of these matches, the best stuff happens after midnight. A lot of times, you know, the best uh, matches finish then. 
the best interviews and press conferences happen then. I feel like I've been in the U.S. Open press room at 1.30 or 2 a.m. far too many times. But you know what? This year, this edition, it has been worth it. What a great tournament. Yeah, so here's my big question about that. Jason and I actually were debating this earlier is I don't understand. And, and as somebody who loves to go to the tournament, and I will admit I'm older than Jason. So this, this is, <laughs> might be the old person point of view is I can't stand the fact that some of these matches that I want to watch start at nine or 10 o'clock at night. But forget me, what is it like for the athlete to sit around all day and wait to have that match start that late? How do they perform that well that late? You know, it's, it's a trade-off, I think. Um, frankly, the players who reach real prominent spots in tennis get used to this because, as I said, in Australia, it's the case. At a lot of European tournaments, they're trying to get, the, you know, especially during the week, you're trying to get your, uh, your public to come out and watch after work. And these are sometimes in Latin countries like Spain and Italy. It's more of a late-night culture anyway, so people are kind of used to that. Yeah, you know, it's probably better for TV too. But, I mean, it is tough, especially for people that are uh, not used to it. And especially for people who have to kind of go from a day match, say on a Wednesday, and then a super late night match on a Friday and come back for a day match on a Sunday. I mean, you're messing with your clock. It's like you're jet lagging yourself. I think that's the way Andre Agassi described it one time. You were basically creating jet lag, even though you weren't on a plane. And it is kind of like that. And, and there's been a lot of tennis players and late night restaurants in New York City at 3 or 4 a.m. over the years. You know, it's just the way it works. So just keep your eyes open, guys. You never know who you're going to see out there. You know, it's been an eventful two weeks. We've seen five set matches, some fantastic tennis upsets. You talk about late at night. We had flooding and extreme weather one night. Tell us about the tournament and how we got to the fact that for the women's final where we're, where we start, we have a combined finals age of 37 years old. It's the youngest U.S. Open final since 1999. Tell us about what's going on there. I know if you had Serena in the final, it would she, she alone would be older than the two of them combined. I mean, it's, it is crazy. Um, I feel like this tournament from the beginning has had a special energy. Not all of it has been, has been great energy, but it's been energy. It has been amazing. And I think it's, it's because of the return of the fans to the U.S. Open after what happened last year and that what happened almost all of last season in so many sports, but especially, you know, in tennis especially. And tennis, you know, really is uh, in New York is a communion with the public. It is that late night vibe, you know, or, you know, during the day, it's that massive grounds and smells of hamburgers cooking and stuff grilling and all that kind of stuff happening all over the grounds. And at night, it's that very crystallized ambience that you have in Ash Stadium or Armstrong Stadium with the fans close to the court, hollering when they probably shouldn't be hollering. And that makes the New York uh, situation, I think, special compared to other places. But this whole thing has been because of this energy and the fans coming back after having nobody allowed in the stadium last year for the U.S. Open. I think the players have picked up on it and loved it. You know, they've, just, they've just really thrived on this energy. And then you've got a situation where you don't have Serena Williams in the, in the draw because of uh, her injury. You don't have Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal in the draw. And they wouldn't have been the favorites, any of those three players this year. I mean, Djokovic would have been or Ostaka or Barty would have been on the women's side. But I think the fact that that star power, which we've kind of gotten accustomed to, wasn't there. It opened up pathways for main courts and you know main stories to emerge from other places a little bit more easily. And these players have seized the moment and they've gone for it. And there's been some fantastic tennis. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, as you guys know. I mean, it's probably my 35th year, I think, covering pro tennis. And uh, this one's right up there. One of the great tournaments, kind of, you know, 1997 French Open when a guy named Guga Kurtzen came through from Brazil, a guy I'd never even really heard of and wins the tournament, beats all these number one seeds or number one players. And then there was a 
unlikely woman's winner and Eva Maioli is probably the last crazy one like this. But this is a great contrast because you have Djokovic going for one of the ultimate achievements in sports, which is a real grand slam. And so that's establishment tennis. And then you have these two teenagers, Raducanu and Fernandez come through, frankly, out of the blue and do something extraordinary. You might have one, but to have both do it at the same time. I mean, these are, these are crazy tennis storylines and they're in totally different positions, you know, on the chart. You have one who's doing it at the end, the ultimate achievement after all the years of sacrifice. And they have these two just people bursting through. So it's been, it's been terrific stuff. You know, at the beginning of this tournament, it was all about Djokovic. I mean, that, that, that was all everybody was talking about it. And now we have these two young women, both who have seemed to have kind of light up the stage. I mean, I've never heard of either one of them, but, but watching them, you can't help but root for them. What is the atmosphere going to be like for the, the women's finals? And who do you think the fans are going to get behind? Well, Jeff, you know, I'm a very experienced tennis columnist and I've been covering the sport for so many years. So here's the deal. I have no clue. <laughs> the most honest answer we've ever gotten on this show. <laughs> I mean, zero clue, because frankly, they've never been in this position before. So how the hell does anybody know how they're going to react to it? I mean, I guess it's one thing you they kind of have been in this vibe of being giant killers, you know? Not that there are as many giants in women's tennis as there used to be. It's, it's a lot more parody. So it's not like you're, you're going up against these huge establishment stars. But they've kind of gone at it as, we're the underdogs. We're just going to let it rip and have a great time. And you know, there's no pressure on us. And here we go. But now they're going to be going at each other. I mean, their only previous match was in the second round of the Wimbledon Junior Tournament against each other, I think, three years ago. So here they are suddenly on the biggest stage in tennis. And Sure, Wimbledon might be a bigger deal in some ways just to the whole culture of sport, but the U.S. Open stage, that night night vibe in there or that well late afternoon vibe with Arthur Ashe Stadium with its, is the biggest stadium in tennis. It's all going to be there watching them, the two of them, however unlikely that might be. So I just don't know how they're going to react to that situation. You just don't know. And it, I think it's going to be a good match. I'd be surprised if one of them just fades or can't handle it. But who's going to win? Hard to say. I mean, Emma Raducanu, the British player who's 18, who was the first qualifier ever in the history of tennis, which is a pretty long history to reach a, a Grand Slam singles final. She has just rumbled through her draw. She hasn't lost a set in any of her matches, the three qualifying matches and then the six main draw matches that she's played. She beat the Olympic champion, uh, Belinda Bencic, just ripped through her, beat a you know, very good player um, last night and Maria Sakari, same sort of way. Um, so she's been the most impressive in that regard. Her game has been the most dominant and she seems to have a little bit next level game. And then you have Layla Fernandez, who used to be Layla Annie Fernandez. I guess she's going with Layla Fernandez now. And frankly, her draw has been brutal and she's had to win four, three set matches in extraordinary circumstances and kind of handle big pressure points one after the next. And so her situation, I'm actually more impressed by what she's done because she's had to be under constant pressure and beaten I think, uh, you know, a greater number of real high, high quality players, including Naomi Osaka. Yeah, she's knocked off the two seed, three seed, five seed and 16th seed on her way to the finals. I thought there was this really cool juxtaposition. Layla Fernandez mentioned it in her post-match interview, how one of her highlights was meeting Billie Jean King. And last night, as you had these two young women battling it out to make the finals, they were also honoring the women who originally started women getting paid in tennis 
having them each hold up the $1 bills for the, the contracts they signed that started getting women paid. Can you talk about what that moment was like for women in tennis and what it was like to be there for that? Well, I think that was, uh, it's been a good year for that because the, they, the, the Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island has uh, inducted them. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful and appropriate gesture because women's tennis it wouldn't be what it is without Billie Jean King and that group who decided to uh, kind of break away from being subjugated and frankly disrespected by the promoters and tour organizers of the game and who were very men focused at the time. And they went for it and took them a long time. And there's been a lot of ups and downs, but they, they did build really the premier individual women's sport. Um, and I think the cool thing about tennis covering it is it really is, you really kind of treat them both the same. You know, the storylines are different at different times. One is more interesting than the other at certain times. This is one of those rare cases where they're both just as interesting and they're both crazy stories. But I think Billie Jean King is, I think for this younger generation of women's players, uh, still means a lot. And it's interesting because the International Tennis Federation just renamed their women's team competition, the Billie Jean King Cup. It used to be called the Federation Cup, just did that last year. And part of the reason was they did some polling among their players and realized that Billie Jean King was still somebody they knew. And these young players like Radu Kanus and Fernandez, somebody that really speaks to them. So I think the movie with Emma Stone helped too, you know, the Battle of the Sexes that came out recently. So a lot of them saw that. But I think that the connection is real. And it was funny last night, very observant of you, Jason, because when Radu Kanu came on the court, you know, they introduced them and they kind of walk out one by one. And she walked out and the, the six members of the original nine, the woman who started the tour, were sitting there on the side of the court just by the entrance entrance point, Billie Jean King among them. And you know, a lot of times you walk into a big stadium and your eyes are just, you don't know where you're looking. But Emma had total presence of mind, looked over and kind of winked at Billie Jean, kind of like, you know, looked, wave, give him a little bit of a wave, and like, yeah, fist pump and walked out. You're like, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the pass, ladies, you know, thanks for giving me this chance kind of thing. So it was very cool. Yeah, I, I was I was really impressed. I, like I said, it just, it caught my attention. You know, jumping back to the men's side, so we get the matchup that people wanted in the semifinals here. First of all, it doesn't seem like Djokovic starts until he loses a, a match or a set in the match. He's lost a third of his opening sets in 26 matches. But here he is getting a rematch against Zverev, who he lost to in the Olympics, who's won his last 16 matches. Can you talk about that matchup a little bit? Yeah, it's a big one. Um, I don't think Novak likes to work this way. <laughs> I don't think it's just his ideal working condition. I think he's had other tournaments in the past. He's just still, he's going for his 21st Grand Slam singles title, which was separate him from Federer and Nadal. But he's won he's won a lot of them by being dominant and, and you know sweeping through the early parts of the draw. There is it is a bit of a thing of attrition. It takes a toll on you when you uh, you have that sort of a, that fight and that scrap to get through a match. He has hit high gears in all those cases where he started to play great tennis. But Zverev is an interesting case because Zverev has been on people's radar for a very long time. He's six foot six. He runs like a deer. He's got a great backhand, huge serve. He has all the tools to be a dominant tennis player, um, a, even potentially a dominant number one. But he's been a bit soft, been a bit fragile. He's got some stuff hanging over his head with some uh, allegations that have been made against him about domestic violence. So I know that's preyed on him a bit over the last season or two. There have been no charges brought. It's just uh, been reporting, but that's, I'm sure that's something I just had to cope with. And, uh, but he's hit a really, really high gear here in the last month. Everything's come together for him. His forehand, which has been uh, kind of his weaker side has gotten better. He's been more aggressive. He's using all his tools 
and he Novak had him in the semifinals of, of the Olympics just about a month ago, up a set and a break in best of three set tennis. And Novak, uh, I thought choked a little bit, to be honest, but Zverev seized the day, took it and accelerated. And he won that match with very aggressive tennis. And so he's in a very confident place. But Novak, as you said, in best of five, Jason is just so tough because he's such a great problem solver. He's so fit and he can play so many different ways. And all these guys that are young, like Zverev and maybe Medvedev, who Novak could play in the final, they know that. It's in their head. They know the guy is just there for the long haul. They know he's a wall when he gets on. He had, I think, under 10 unforced errors in the last three sets the other night in his in his quarterfinal match against Berrettini. So he's just a guy who it's he's in your head and he should be because he's earned that right. But I think Zverev, if he plays the way he's been playing and he uses all his tools, he can beat Novak. And I think Medvedev can as well. You know, Chris, there's a lot that's positive about this tournament, but it, it can't go unsaid with what happened towards the beginning of the tournament as well, which is Sloan Stevens was saying that she received more than 2000 abusive messages and comments. She's not the only player in this tournament that's expressed concern about the abusive level of comments from, from I'll use air quotes, fans, but they're not really fans. Um, as a reporter, are you starting to see that the impact, you know, players like to use social media to kind of you to create their own narrative instead of letting reporters do it? I mean, we see that more and more. Are we starting to see the possibility of a swing back that that players are now going to start saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. The, the abusiveness that we're getting on social media, that maybe we're better off dealing with reporters again and talking to them because because they they have the knowledge of the sport and they're going to treat us professionally you know jeff i've never thought of that that's really interesting um just knowing how much agents and and people's uh uh i think uh, teams like to have the control at this stage and like to be able to manage the message and like to limit the possibility of you know journalists asking pesky questions that might trouble their clients or maybe cloud the waters. I, I kind of doubt that'll have a huge impact that way. But in terms of the negativity of it and the psychological uh, difficulties that go with it, I think tennis is in an interesting place because it's an individual sport, which also generates a lot of betting um, globally. It's a global sport that generates a lot of betting and it's individual. And you also have some very, very young uh, athletes, particularly on the women's side who are, you know, obviously part of their generation wanting to use social media. So you're very exposed. And I think other sports say women's soccer, for example, or women's basketball, I imagine the same kind of abuse exists on some level, but I'm not sure it's driven as individually because let's face it. If Sloan Stevens goes out and is a favorite in a match and loses that individually, she's costing a lot of people, a lot of money. And they're going to be able to reach out to her directly and make that point. So I think you're going to see people get much more, uh, maybe protective in terms of how they access their own social media or what they actually look at when they're on it, or maybe have people from the outside and their teams do it for them. But I, I, I sort of unfortunately doubt that they're going to want to get, have us be their main messengers again, um, much as I think we would do a fine job, Jeff, fine job. Um, <laughs> fine job. <laughs> Is there a fine and objective job, but I, but I, but I do think it's a, it's a fascinating issue to explore more and I wish I were more qualified to do so. Is the WTA and the other tennis associations, are they helping with, with these types of issues, not just the social media issue, but with 
the, the mental health issues that we're seeing uh, talked about more and more among tennis players? Yes. The short answer is yes. I think the Osaka situation this year with her, you know, having the uh, problems with um, press conferences and trying to find a way to fight through her anxiety and other issues to try to feel comfortable in those settings. I think that's definitely set off some alarm bells to the WTA's credit, the women's tours credit. I think because of the, uh, the teen phenom issue that's been around in women's tennis for a long time, you can go back to Jennifer Capriati in that period back in the 1990s, when there was a lot of concern about the mental health of young players being put into this adult working environment. So young, the tours had to grapple with that for quite a long time, but now I think the social media component, which is new, is adding layers of complexity to that. Um, so I think, and the gambling aspect as well has changed some of those things. So you're seeing more and more focus on it, more uh, emphasis. I know the US Open this year, you can call it cosmetic if you like, but at least they were trying to put together their first real, I think, formal program where they've got psychologists on call during the tournament that are US Open affiliated. And you have Marty Fish, who's got a great documentary tennis player just came out about his own mental health struggles and his anxiety that kind of caused him to withdraw from a a match against Roger Federer at the U S open a few years back and just not be able to play because of anxiety. And he's come out with a, uh, I think a Netflix doc, which is very, very good about his, his pathway. Marty actually is a U.S. Davis cup captain and is available as a mentor for players at the U S open. So you're seeing more, more little things being done, but obviously this is a wide societal issue. We all know that. And I think um, there has to be, you know, broader, I think broader resources brought to bear, but I think the bigger concern really in tennis is the gambling, Jeff, in terms of how they're going to manage to cope with that. Um, it's an individual sport one-on-one. -on -one. It's very vulnerable to, uh, to problems like that. We are definitely going to have to have you back sometime, uh, talk a little bit about the gambling and tennis. That's an angle I would be fascinated to explore more. Uh, New York Times bestseller probably can't get over here and that enough. Chris Clary, <laughs> so much for given us some time encourage everybody to go get the book the master the brilliant career of roger federer and check out his coverage of the u.s open this weekend thanks for giving us a few minutes to talk about it all jason and jeff thank you very much great questions and i, and I appreciate being called that label however long it lasts you know it's it's, 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 it's very cool i'm i'm 56 years old i never thought it would happen at this stage so it's very nice make it your ringtone <laughs> my wife's already tired of the word book she considers it a four-letter word <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much chris jeff uh look the the interview itself fascinating all the things we're talking about and how amazing the tournament is that gambling aspect is not something yeah, you, that you, you and i you and i have had this discussion for for a few days now of like what is everybody so angry about that an american lost in a tennis man and it never crossed my mind that I didn't realize gambling was that big on te in tennis on an on an international scale. I actually feel better about myself and I never got into gambling on tennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean that's where you drew the line? <laughs> apparently, tennis and high lie. I, I didn't, mean, like I didn't really know there was a line to draw, but apparently that's where I I know what high lie is. Oh, you Jeff. do? I do. Wow, I do. I used to go to Boca Raton to see my grandparents, oh, so I definitely know what high lie is. <laughs> Yeah, we've got. Did you go to the dog track too? No, but oh, I've done that. It's horrible. <laughs> it, it really. It, they should ban that. There should, a, there should be no dog track racing. You're not a dog track. It's man. cruel. Well, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, five minutes left. Where or four minutes left now? Where you want to go? You want to talk some college football games this weekend? What is Jet? I, I what, do you want? Asking, you, you, do you want to talk about Rutgers since you're undefeated? Is, well, that, is that your thing now? We have to while we are, because yeah. <laughs> it may not last. <laughs> they, they beat up Temple. Um, 
and apparently the stories were not very nice about it for Temple. <laughs> yes. Uh, they play Syracuse this week. Mm-hmm. See what happens with that. Michigan has Washington. Anything else? Like, what's the the priority? I started asking you, what's the priority on your watch list this time of year? Michigan what's football. The order? Okay, after yeah, that. Right. After that. Like, is it college? Well, I, I'd is like it, it baseball? Be, well, is no, it? I'd like it to be Phillies. It's fall baseball. I mean, <laughs> this, this is supposed to be pennant chase baseball, will right? You, will you keep watching if the Phillies are not in it? Are you well, I watch base? other. No, I I don't. No. I, I I I will turn it on every once in a while. It has to be somebody that I can root for. So it's really hard. Like, I'll look, I'll root for like the Oakland A's if they make. So it's it all about you, basically. It's really well, only about your interests and. It's just a, checking. It's checking. no. It's about whether I have an interest in a team. You what? You're just gonna watch? Well, yeah, you will. That was a I dumb w- question. Don't I was about ask to ask. me that. Right. You know, it's really funny. My nephew uh, said to me the other day, "Wait, you watch this?" I was like, "I watch everything. Just ask Aunt Sarah." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand how you do. Like, I, I have not been able to yet figure out how you consume as much. I sports just told watching. you last night I was working while I had three different things. on. I know, and that's the thing. Like, you have so many. Like, I sit there now. I have the, the this sports package just so I can watch the Pac-12, and it's got all these things. And I'm sitting there going, like, how do, Jason's watching all this. I know he is, <laughs> and I don't know how he's doing it. <laughs> Like, like it would have been worse if you knew so, me in college when I was betting on it, because so then I was really watching it all. Now so, I just tacitly engage in it. Yeah, you know, like I can picture you like so back back in the day, I, I, when when I was in college, all the bowl games were basically on January first. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's all of them, which like, was awesome. And, and and so what we would do is we would get together at somebody's house, and, and we them. would each bring a television. And we would have all these te- televisions. Everybody was responsible for turning, and then there would be one big one in the middle, guess, and that was like the main one. Guess you didn't have picture-in-picture picture yet. <laughs> no, that was this was before picture-in-picture. <laughs> picture. There was a period before that, you know, and it, we didn't have remote controls either. We had to turn the so dials. It's, it's funny you say that because when I was betting on games, mm. I didn't want to watch them with anybody. Because I would ride that roller coaster on every play, and I didn't want to be in the room with well, anybody. Well, that's else. that's why I stopped doing the fantasy football that time because because uh, I couldn't take it because it was like uh, now I have to now I'm stuck watching games I don't even want to. I'm not great to watch a game with when I don't have money on it. If I'm yeah. being honest, in fact, when my in-laws watched the Super Bowl with me when the Eagles were in it, well, I, I remember that I gave I, them well, fair what you, warning. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with your kids now? Like, are you gonna tone it down? Are you gonna? Are you gonna be? Are you able well, I have to? to be or careful. I can't have anything that you can throw because I can't teach the kids they can throw things. Well, you can. So. G- no, you can get like a little foam brick. No, that won't go well with my little one. Why? Because he'll break things. My with little a one. Foam brick? My little one will have the ability to break things with everything. No, the whole point of the foam brick is that it can't break anything. I promise you. Like there, there are people literally yelling at their radios right now, going, "It's a foam brick." I'm gonna introduce you to Adam. Yeah, and you'll find out how he manages to break. Things. Okay, so how are you gonna deal when when, when the first disaster happens? At, well, you're dealing uh, quietly. We don't even have to wait for the Eagles. Last night, yes. What did you do? Didn't watch the game with them. It was late. Okay. Got him in bed. Watched the game. <laughs> I'm just gonna hope for nighttime games. Okay. Then, I don't to, then I don't have to watch in front of the kids. <laughs> and what was it? What was? Do you yell at the television? Like last it night when Ian Kennedy did that? I know no. you were. T- or 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 are you able to get it out of your so, system th- simply through your thumbs to me? I don't. But here's the problem: when Brandon watches, Brandon's my oldest. When he watches the Phillies, yeah, he thinks that the job of the bullpen is to come in and serve up home runs. Like he well, thinks he <laughs> thinks the Phillies are really good at their jobs is what he that's, thinks. That's how it's supposed to go. And so I don't right. know how to explain to him that they bring the new pitcher in so they don't do that. But every time that happens, the Phillies let it happen. So I have to calmly explain that this isn't how it's supposed to work. 
Well, if it happens when the Braves are in town, Freddie Freeman will come out and give you a hug after you. Oh, he's your, he's your new favorite. 30 he really seconds. is. I, I got to tell you, it was one of the classiest things that he got drilled on purpose, um, and he went out and 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 went over to Soto, who was drilled the day before, which is the reason he was drilled, and went over, put his arm around him, and showed everybody, hey, look, you, you know, what? I get this, but we we're not enemies. Yeah, that that's the kind of it stuff. It probably that you wouldn't like go say. over well in Philadelphia. Probably the most that you like a Braves player. Any last thoughts, yeah. Jeff? No, because you you just said that. So now I'm just going to let the dead air just say that. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and talk to you next week. Bye-bye.